Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Welcome to Calvary tonight. Uh, we decided to break things up a little bit and do a Q&A, and you guys can participate. Uh, and here's the number if you want to text in a question, 720-336-0897. That works anywhere, anywhere you're watching, anywhere you're listening. It works in the room here. And let me give you another thing. If you have a complaint of any kind, if you are mad and upset with anything we've ever done at the church here, let me give you an email address you can use. You ready? Ian at Calvary Church or calvaryco.church. Ian is waiting for you to fill his email box and he loves to answer your questions. That wasn't, didn't get him, is the kind of response I thought it would get. You're not even on. Sorry. So we're going to do Q&A. Uh, we have Marie Taylor up here with us today. She is going to be helping us and emceeing this. So actually, I opened up, but actually, you're supposed to open up, MC. Yes, definitely. You're already stealing my thunder here. Hi, everyone. How are, how's everybody doing? How's so everybody doing? <laughs> so good to see everyone in person and also those that are joining us online and listening to us on Grace FM. Welcome to our Wednesday night Q&A. It's live, so if you want to participate, we want to um, encourage you to text your questions to 720-336-0897. And um, we already get, got one, we already got two questions, so we're excited about that. So keep them coming and, um, and we'll see what happens here, but uh, we're excited, so make sure that you, if you have a question just coming through your mind right now, just text it to us. This is the good time and this is the only time you probably get to use your phones while we're in service, so. Um, so here we go. And so the first question, you ready? I think you're supposed to send it back and have it all set up and then, yeah, then you cue us. Ready for us. So <laughs> what if I don't want to answer this one? Well, I think you should. Are you going to boss me around here like you? <laughs> go ahead, yeah. shoot it, send it our way. <laughs> all right. So the first question that we have is, this person is asking, I work at a popular coffee shop and I'm finding it hard to be around my coworkers that continually talk about things that I don't believe and sometimes find offensive. I try to get away from it, but it, we all wear headsets, so sometimes it's not possible to get away 100%. My question is, how do you deal with the non-believers and people who are making a joke of God and the Bible at work? What do you say, Josh? That's a great question. Thanks for picking it, Mom. You're the best. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's always difficult depending, and it actually doesn't depend on where you work, but just being in the world, having to have a voice for righteousness and holiness, when you seem to have um, maybe the voice that is the smallest in your eyes, um, to really take that position of uh, you get to stand there representing God, uh, which is the greatest voice that we possibly could have. And although it's uncomfortable, although it's awkward uh, at times when you feel uh, the pressure of maybe the overbearing uh, opinions that, and in this case, having a headset um, on your head all day, I, I can't imagine. Like, as much as it's hard to hear that, um, there is a, a power that we get to walk in as believers where we can stand up for righteousness and know that our standing for righteousness is back behind God or backed uh, with the power of God. Uh, which is super comforting when we look at it from that perspective. If you look at it as you have a small voice in a large room of instigators or people that are coming against you, it can look very overwhelming and daunting. Um, but when we look at it from the perspective that we actually get to stand for the strongest and most powerful voice that could ever be, uh, that just changes the whole entire outlook that you get to have. Now, if you're worried about the words I should say, how can I say it without being offensive? You know, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will bring back to remembrance the things that you'll need in the moment. 
moment. And I really encourage that if you spend that time in the Word, spend that time uh, as you begin your day in the presence of the Lord, the Lord's going to bring about what you need for the moment. Um, And just not to be afraid, just to take that step of faith and to speak out truth in love. Uh, Obviously, we can get caught, and I think the enemy likes to try to trip us up by setting us up uh, to where we get into arguments that could damage our witness uh, or things that could hinder our uh, advancement of the gospel in the area that we're working in. Um, But you have to understand, whatever sphere of circle that you're involved in, God's placed you there. Uh, He knew who you are going to be working with. He knew the personalities that are going to be uh, with you, speaking in your ear constantly. He knows exactly where he's placed you, and he placed you there for such a time as that moment. So just pray. Allow your, um, allow your mind and your uh, focus and perspective to be filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit, um, and walk in there victorious because we've won those battles. Even though it may feel overwhelming, you've already walked into a battle that you've won. Uh, you just got to depend on the Lord. So that's what I would say. What would you say, Pastor Ed? I'd say that was a great question. You must have been raised by a great Beautiful family. Beautiful woman. <laughs> Mom. Great answer. I, I, th- I just think that it, it does get heavy, so make sure that you take some time away to refresh and rejuvenate. It's kind of like the picture of dusting the dirt off of your feet. You know, you go through this world, you live in this world, you pick up a lot of this world, it gets heavy, burdensome, and that continual habit of casting your cares upon the Lord will equip you to not be so frustrated. Because if you never deal with it, you're just always going to be frustrated and tense, you're going to be in the flesh, and with, that, with the right mindset, you'll, you'll be able to endure those things and still not lose your witness. Because once you lose your witness, it's very hard to get it back. And that's, so that's really the purpose, I think, sometimes of all the friction at work, is that you lose your witness. And when you lose your witness, you lose your voice. And when you lose your voice uh, in terms of speaking the gospel, um, you know, basically it just becomes a job, and it's very hard uh, to get back to the ministry aspect. You know, walk into work and know that you have been appointed by God to be here, that wherever the sole of your feet touches, that's what God's given you, and, and endure some of the difficulties that, that you hear and how you're treated for the sake of the gospel and, and you know, love on them. Be, be in love. Yeah, I think uh, Exodus 15 too is also a good reminder. Um, the Lord is my strength and he's my defense. And just knowing that he's the one that's going to defend you in those conversations. Uh, he's the one that's going to defend your uh, character and your reputation as long as you stand on truth. And again, protect that witness. It's going to go a long way. And you never know what seeds you're planting by having... Um, in a world that may be trying to instigate you, having a calm uh, persona and just way of handling yourself in a righteous way, um, those seeds could produce some great fruit. So keep in there, uh, keep strong in prayer, and, and start your day off in the Word and just allow that refreshing to happen before you enter the workplace. So great question. All right, good answers. So the next question we have, good job, guys. Uh, where is the verse that guarantees salvation and that it can't be lost? One of my favorite passages when it comes to salvation is it from Peter. We're going to be in Peter pretty soon here uh, on Wednesday nights. But it speaks of us in 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, really, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And then verse 5 is one of the most comforting passages in all the Bible. It says, describing us who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And there's a lot of verses that talk about the nature of salvation. That's how I like to answer the question. Salvation in our relationship with God is either one of two things. It's not one of three things or one of five things. It's one of two things. It's either eternal or not. And the way that the Bible describes the eternality of of salvation is very clear. The same word that describes God being eternal is the same Greek word that's used to describe salvation being eternal. So just as eternal as God is, so is the, the salvation that he extends to you and me. And when, we've, when we place the subject of salvation on ourselves, then we go in and out with our behavior. But we don't believe the Bible teaches that we're saved by our works. Aren't you glad? Aren't you happy about that? If you were saved by your works, you'd be saved one minute, not saved the next. 
If you had a bad day at your workplace, like the last question, you're like, you walk out and go, man, I need to get saved all over again. But there's never a time in the scriptures where the Bible ever teaches or there's any example of somebody being unborn again. You read people, you read Jesus saying, you must be born again, but he never teaches you must be born again, 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 again. And how is it that we make it? We're kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. So of many verses, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 3 through 5. Do you have a favorite? No, I think you hit it on the head. Great. It's a great answer. Thank you. You're the best. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So the next one comes from a, a friend, but her friend is seven years old. So she wants to know what you look like before you are born. That's a little tricky. What you look like before, before you, were you were born. Before you were born. Well, you're in the womb, and now they have that 4D technology. So t- we, we sh- if you're asking that question, ask your mom and dad to go online, to go on the internet, and look up pictures of five or 4D ultrasounds. Because 4D ultrasounds show the development of a baby in the womb and all the different ways that a baby looks. And they're stunning, stunningly accurate uh, pictures of what babies look like, all the features, uh, everything within the womb. So the baby didn't exist prior to the womb. So you want to know what that baby exists before you come into the world. You can ask your mom and dad to, or your friend's mom and dad to look up 4D ultrasound pictures. And they're fascinating. Great. You like that one? That's good. (laughs) All right, so the next question. (laughs) This one's a little bit more. um, It says, do we need to live our lives planning that Jesus can take us at any moment or live out our lives watchful and witnessing still for him, but not so concerned about him coming every second? For instance, selling all our possessions because we know Jesus will be here soon. So how should they approach the rapture. You want to get it? I can. You, you can get it. I got a lot on my mind, but I'm going to let you take it. Okay. Well, I'll, lay, I'll leave some room for you. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I think that's a great question. Uh, I, I think you have to be careful when you go into extremes, but essentially the heart and the mindset of the believer should be always this expectancy that Jesus is on, on his way. And that idea is not so much as in, oh, I got to sell everything, like Jesus is going to, so it doesn't matter, I shouldn't put any roots down here in the world because it's all going to go away anyways. It's more of the idea of your heart and the way that you live the life that the Lord has entrusted you. So everything you've been given, uh, you're called to be a good steward of it. And whether that's your time, whether it's the material things you've been given, the relationships you've been given, uh, all of that should be focused on Jesus is on the way, so what matters most? Uh, obviously, the material things don't matter as much as making sure the people in your life are headed to heaven with you. Um, so the mindset that you should have is not necessarily worried about the, how you handle the things you have, except that it should all be for the glory of God and that the gospel might be proclaimed uh, farther and farther and farther for his name. Um, I, I think that we can kind of get caught up in uh, the small details when the big picture is, if Jesus is coming back, how am I using what he's given me? And you can accomplish everything he's given you uh, for his glory and for the gospel to be sent forth. Uh, And those are the things that you want to keep in mind as far as how extreme you want it to be. I would say just allow the Lord to give you the direction on those specific areas. Um, If he's calling you to sell everything, be a missionary, sell everything, be a missionary. If he's calling you to plant your feet down in a certain city and grow those relations um, among your workplace, whether it's your family, whatever it might be, then do that. If he's calling you to be a good neighbor, then be the best neighbor you can be for the purpose of the gospel. Um, But I think it's really important to keep that mindset that what you do is an expectancy that Jesus is coming back. Uh, Not just, okay, if he's coming back tomorrow, then nothing else matters. I'm waiting for him just to take me home. No way. You want to plant yourself and be prepared as a good steward of what God's given you, including the life that he's given you. I think that you walk in wisdom. And I like how you added, you almost make selling your, the question almost intended, I don't know if you meant that asking it, but the question, the way it was, way it was shared was, for instance, selling our possessions as if it was negative. There's some real positive ways where you sell all your possessions. There's some really good reasons why. That's, that the world kind of looks at that and goes, what are you thinking? You worked your whole life for that. But God in a moment can say, I, you've worked your whole life for this moment and I want you to shed all your earthly possessions and I'm moving you. So it's not even necessarily a bad thing. However, if you're not walking in wisdom, 
then that will force you to make bad decisions. So you, we want to walk in the wisdom of God. You want to, if you, you get a dream and said, you know, God said, I want to sell all my possessions, you should talk it over with someone, a wise, godly man or woman in your life, just to talk it over and pray it over and see if it's really wise. But the alternative of something is you're reading this, it, since Jesus can take us at any moment, you know, reading, rereading the question, do we need to live our lives planning that Jesus can take us at any moment? Yes. The answer to that question is yes. The alternative you said is, or live our lives watchful and witnessing still for him. Yes, both of those are living in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. It's not either or. And then as you, when you say not so concerned about him every second, um, whether it's every second or not, living with the consciousness of the return of Christ, not so concerned, living like in a way, well, not so concerned, the answer is no. You want to live very concerned about the coming of the Lord because it will change you. It, it will change your whole thinking. And for, for that, Jesus gave us the parable of the ten virgins. He gave us insight of what that looks like. He said, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet their bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. So there's your option. It's, there's, there's a foolish way to live and there's a wise way to live in expecting the coming of the Lord. And he, he lays out some of the differences. The foolish took their lamps, took no oil with them. This is Matthew 25, by the way, verses 1 through 13. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the, while the bridegroom was delayed, they slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming to go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise answered, No. Thus there shouldn't be enough for us. And you go out and gather rather than those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. So while they were doing something else rather than being ready, because of their lack of readiness, that put them in a different position so that when the bridegroom came, they weren't, they weren't there. And you want to be ready. You want to be. And so after the other virgins came, the Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So when you ask that question, you kind of break it down. Yes, yes, no is the answer to that question because you want to live ready. You, you want to live in a place of witnessing and loving. And, and you know what the Bible says and in, in uh, relation to this is in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, where in Titus it says that the grace of God that brings salvation, it's actually verse 11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, this is how we're to live in the last days. We should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself. So that is, we're to live with these behaviors while we're looking for the blessed hope. And everyone who has this hope, John said, purifies himself. So I really like how you mentioned the, there are good, time, there are good reasons to sell all your possessions. It's not just bad, and it's not just, um, and some of the missionaries could probably testify to this, where they sold all their belongings and they're going to move to a foreign country and some of their family go, what are you doing? That's crazy. What are you thinking? You know, because they don't have the mind of Christ. If you sell your, all your possessions with the mind of Christ, not because, you know, you're with the idea you sell all your possessions and then you sit on the curb waiting for him to return. It's like, what are you doing? Waiting for the Lord. Yeah, but you got no clothes on, bro. You sold, I sold them. I'm waiting for the Lord. Go home. I sold them. Like that's not, that, that's not a good conclusion based on God wouldn't lead you to be in a position like that. I don't believe um, that. I mean, he did once in the scriptures. He had a prophet uh, walk around naked sharing the gospel, but that was for a purpose. That's not normative. <laughs> it doesn't spread to every believer every time. But, you know, walking in wisdom is really important. And, and so as you break that question down, um, the answer was yes, yes, no. That's good. That's very good. Very thorough. All right, the next question, and I like this one. It says, what does it mean in Ezekiel 36, 26 when he says, I will give you a heart of flesh? Does it mean the Lord will make us more tender and sympathetic towards others? Would you like to take this one? Yeah, I'll take it. It says, uh, kind of going backwards, one of the ways to answer a question like this 
uh, is to make sure that you get the context. Context is everything. And if you haven't heard the phrase context before, remember church, the context is where it's being said, what's before, what's after. Context includes who was the original audience. You'll never know what the Bible means to you until you understand what the Bible meant to the people it was written to. Uh, that if you just jump to what it means to me today, right now in the 21st century, you know, maybe 50-50 chance you're going to hit on the mark. But you won't come to the interpretation. You'll just make the Bible say what you think it says. So one of the ways when I see a question like this is I just want to go back and I want to see what was being said. So Ezekiel was given direction by God here in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36 where it says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Then I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And then you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. So we, we read a few verses before and we read a few verses after and we see that the nation of Israel, Ezekiel was sent to the nation of Israel as a prophet, both to speak to the current situation and the biggest issue in Israel's life was their idolatry. And, and now we know that the hardness of heart has everything to do with their lack of hallowing him, has everything to do with the, the fact that they aren't worshiping him, they're not, they're not hallowing, he, they're not being a witness to the other countries because they're not hallowing, God is not hallowed or respected in them before their eyes. They are rejecting God, they are living in uncleanness, they're living in profanity. It, it's a, the hardness of their heart has caused them to be disconnected from the God that loves them. So God sends Ezekiel to prophesy and say, there's coming a day where I'm going to gather you together. You're going to live in the land. And in that new experience, I'm going to do a work in you that is going to be transformative. And we're going to be back in relationship again. You're, not, you're going to get rid of the, the idols. You're going to be in a place of, of true worship. And there's a day coming. So when I look at this in its initial interpretation, I would say, that speaking to the nation of Israel, a hard heart to a heart of flesh is, is a heart of rebellion and disobedience replaced with a relational heart, like, you know, heart being the sum total of your, the, the seat of your emotions, you know, the purpose of the, who you are as a person. I'm going to replace that hardness. You're not going to be idolaters anymore. You're not going to be rebels anymore. You're not going to be bad witnesses anymore because you're going to come to a place where you're, you're going to choose to worship me and in response to that, I'm going to do a work in you. And isn't that, so, so when you back that up, I say, doesn't that sound like what happens after you're born again? Doesn't that just sound like what God does to you when, when you're born again and you turn to him and you lived a life of rebellion, you lived a life of resistance. Some of us had the most horrible testimony. We're born again and then what does God do? He sprinkles clean water on us. He cleans us from our filthiness. He takes away our idols. He begins to work on the inside. You know, we're so busy trying to deal with the outside that he begins to work on the inside of us and begins to work from the, and now I'm no longer a hard-hearted person. I'm no longer an idol. I, I'm being led and directed. And of course, in the new covenant, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and we have his presence in us, but we're completely different, and we're now living in such a way that honors him. So back to the question. All that with context, back to the question, can we apply this, uh, that God would give us a heart of flesh, that he would ma make us more tender and sympathetic toward others? Yes. And how do we know that? Not just because of the symbolism, hard heart, soft heart, but because of the word. Remember back, one of the marks of a hard heart, according to Ezekiel, was that when um, I will sanctify my great name, verse 23, 
which has been profaned among the nations. So part of the question is, will it make me more tender toward others? Well, right now, the hard heart is profaning God among the nations, among other people, which you have profaned in their midst. So that, that's the people have profaned the name among other people. And the nations shall know that I'm God when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. So when this change takes place, you will be more sim- sympathetic, sensitive. Uh, you will care about people. And it will be directly related to the change in your worship relationship with God. And that's what's happening as the people are coming back, when many many of the Jews will turn back to to the Lord uh, during the Great Tribulation period, even as many are now, but also in a practical way for the new covenant believer that God's work in you through being born again is he removes, and we use, use that in a message, right? He takes your heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh. You're no longer hard against God. You're softened toward him using that. And yes, I would say that that's one of the benefits. You, I think one, the sum total is, is that soft heart is you start to care about what God thinks about other people and that changes you. It automatically changes you. I don't think I could ever be tender. And like that question, the first question about at work. I don't think I'll ever like these. It's so hard. I don't know if I'll ever get along. Well, God will give you his perspective of them, that soft heart. And as when you start seeing them the way God sees them, you'll change your behavior. Mm, That's so good. Thank you. Well, and it kind of goes, the next question kind of goes along a little bit to that. There's some conflict, conflict in this person's question, but how can you have joy when you fear God? Can you clarify that for her, for them? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I would say, first off, uh, with this question, you can only have true joy when you fear God. Uh, so having true joy comes from having a healthy respect because this is what uh, the word fear means when you look at it in the Old Testament. Oftentimes, it says you'll fear the Lord your God. You'll see that throughout uh, the Old Testament as a command to Israel. And it's not necessarily speaking of a, I'm afraid of God uh, mentality, but a fear as in, I respect God, I honor God, I know who God is and the authority he has in my life. Now, from our perspective as believers, we can say, I fear the Lord, which I would say is not only the beginning of wisdom like the scripture says, but it also is the the beginning point, the seed for true joy. Because when you have a healthy understanding of who God is, when you have a healthy respect and authority of who God is, you understand what comes with that relationship with a God like that, which is eternal life, which is compassion, which is comfort, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, and faithfulness, and self-control. You know, those are all things that come with a healthy relationship with the God uh, that you get to honor, you get to respect, the God that you get to fear. And with that comes this joy, where happiness, we know, is kind of like a roller coaster. One day you're happy, one day you could not be happy. However, joy, it's rooted in something that is never changing, which is the characteristics and the hope that we have in a God who has such power, uh, who does offer us so much here on earth, but even more so that gets to salvation through Jesus Christ. So how can you have joy and also fear God? I would say if you're afraid of God, uh, you can't have joy. I mean, that is a scary place to be. However, if you have a relationship if you have a fear, a healthy respect and honor for the God of the universe who loves you, who died for you, desires a true relationship with you, then you are already on the direction for pure joy uh, because you know where it's going to end. It's going to end with him in heaven forever. So it's, it's a little bit difficult as you read uh, those verses without getting the, the full context, but uh, when you speak of the fear of God in the scriptures, it's talking about a healthy respect of who God is uh, in your life. When you, think of, when you think of fear, you know, that you have a reverence for something, a respect for something, if you, you have a healthy fear of fire, you won't get burned. You won't play with it. And the joy that comes from not being burned by a bad decision is unspeakable. So fear and joy can go together. I was thinking too, I thought there was a passage that had those two together, and I found one here in Matthew chapter 28 in verse 5. It says, but the angel answered and said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified, for he is not here, he's risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and indeed he's going before you into Galilee, that you will fear him, or you will see him. Behold, I've told you. And so they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and rang to bring his disciples word. 
So they've got a mix of emotions where it's exciting. They're, they know the Lord. They're remembering now. Jesus said he would rise again from the dead. He's risen again from the dead. But they also have this sense of what's going on here. Like we just saw some angels. The tomb is empty. So they've got a mix of emotions. And this particular word is the typical word in the Greek language for fear. It's phobos. And it just speaks of a regular fear. So here they have a general fear not necessarily a fear toward God, but the sense that you can have both those emotions at the same time. You know, that, that's why it's so counterintuitive. Um, if you, let's say you didn't fear fire and you got burned, you will not experience joy after not respecting the power of fire like it's in the, in the pain of fire. And if you, you and I don't live with the respect of God, a whole, healthy, holy fear of God, the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And joy is going to flow from a, a life that's filled with the knowledge and wisdom of God. And it's possible to have all these conflicting emotions. You think they're antithetical to each other, but they're actually not. You can have both at the same time. You can run away from the tomb fearful, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm kind of concerned about this. And at the same time, be filled with joy because you're like, yeah, I think the Lord was, everything he said was true. And, and so you could see those together. Um, it, the same word phobos actually, actually means reverence, respect, and honor. So they, they run away with this fear, but they're also filled with joy at the same time. Mm, that is pretty, pretty clear. Just to so. think, Marie, you get this every day at home, all day. <laughs> She's a yeah. blessed woman. You, anytime you have a Bible question, I just... Yeah, I just walk into your office and we have this... Isn't this like the way it is at home all day, every day? Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I do. I appreciate uh, your wisdom, Ed. Thank you. Believe it or not, I do. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> okay, the next question. Uh, it's from a middle schooler. It says, I will be starting middle school. Do you have any advice? Just a practical question. Well, do you remember interim, back when you were in middle school? Interim high school pastor. Interim high where's, school pastor. Where's Keegan at? Keegan's actually ministering he's, to some middle school. Oh, he's out downstairs. in the junior high right now. Yeah, huh? I wonder running. if they're texting from the parking lot. Oh, they could be watching no, from the agape room. Yeah. They're in the agape room. Oh, that's yes. right. Well, if that's for them. I would say for middle school, I mean, that's a big step. Congratulations on making it to middle school, first of all. <laughs> uh, big, big step. You're going to have exciting years in front of you. Um, but I think it would be the same advice I would give to anyone starting a new season of life. It's just keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Um, Jesus should be number one as you start... Uh, facing things that you've never faced before, uh, as you start growing up and, and learning things that you've never uh, ever thought you'd experience, uh, things that are going to make you really happy, things that are going to make you really sad, it's really important to start laying that foundation, even now uh, that your foundation's on Christ. Because no matter what the storm is, that's how the Bible likes to refer to trials or things that are uh, new or unexpected, which is things you will face in middle school uh, or in high school or in college or for the rest of your life. Uh, you want to have that strong foundation. You want to be on that rock so that when those storms come, when those unexpected things come to try to shake you, uh, you can rely on Jesus as being the one who sustains and rely on Jesus as being the one who's going to comfort you. Even when you seem to have uh, maybe lost all your friends, maybe when you're on, at odds with your family, uh, maybe when you had a rough test, uh, you can rely on Jesus to be able to be the one that comforts you and gets you to the next day. Uh, so I would focus as you start this middle school journey, focus on building that foundation with Jesus because he's going to be the one that takes you through every single transition uh, that you're going to experience as you grow up. Great question. Yeah, I think you're entering into the, one of the most exciting seasons of your life. So please don't compromise. Hmm. I look back in the time of my junior high and high school years, and because of my bad decisions, I didn't get to enjoy them. I enjoyed more pain and suffering. I inflicted more pain and suffering on my parents just because I chose not to follow the rules, because I chose to do things I was specifically told not to do. And the fact that you're asking this question now in a church environment tells me you probably have parents that want you to, to follow the Lord. If you don't have parents that want you to follow the Lord, I want you to follow the Lord. I want you to submit your life to Jesus. This is the best time to live a submitted life because it'll also be the time where you get some of the most opposition you face. People making fun of you. You'll have most, the most uh, opportunity for people to make fun of you and try to ridicule you and try to talk you out of your faith, offering you a beer, offering you a, mar a joint, marijuana, offering you things that you've never experienced before, but you're going to start to see things and hear things that will be used to tempt you. 
But I want to remind you and just put the seed in you that as you're entering into middle school, this is, the most, this is going to be one of the most exciting times in your life. Uh, you're going to be able to enjoy uh, so many different things by keeping healthy relationships and being obedient to your parents. The Bible says that you should be obedient to your parents so you can live a long life. And, that it, and the idea of a long life is not just longevity, but an enjoyable life. And, and the other thing I was thinking as a dad um, and, and even as a pastor keep asking this question. Like, don't just ask it today. Keep asking this question. And keep the lines of communication open to your parents. And even if you've made a mistake, don't hide it from your parents. Talk to them about it. Let them walk you through it. Be open and honest. Nothing flourishes in the dark except mold and uh, nastiness. Like, it's all bad in the dark. The Bible says if we walk in the light, so think of light and dark, you know, the cockroaches like to run around in the darkness, but you turn on the light, they all scatter. Um, light speaks of in the Bible, his word and his truth, and you want to be honest. Don't lie to your parents. Make the decision right now, going into the sixth grade or seventh grade, don't lie to your parents. Uh, if something bad happened or you're really wrestling with something, be open and honest. And isn't that the same advice to you parents uh, and to you adults? Walk in the light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And keep asking this question, uh, because at each stage, there'll be, there'll be new challenges. It doesn't necessarily mean it'll be harder. It just means you'll have new challenges. There'll be new people coming in and out of the school. There'll be new temptations. However, if you live an obedient life, you'll enjoy it. You'll get good grades. You'll, you'll enjoy sports. You'll enjoy relations. You'll have freedom. You'll be, your parents will trust you. Uh, and so that cheat that trust like a million dollars, right? You're starting out in school with all the trust of your parents. Uh, treat that trust like a million dollars and don't waste it. Instead, invest it so it multiplies and you can live in that trust because you'll get through these years. You'll enjoy them. Uh, you'll be, have the freedom to do things that maybe other kids that were disobedient. Um, and, you know, be ready. Don't, be, don't start out fearful. Start out exciting excited. It's like, this is going to be good. And I know it, it's going to be challenging, but it's going to be good. And, and I know God will honor you there because you're not going in. If you're a believer, uh, obviously another way to start middle school is make sure you're born again and make sure you're entering in with a relationship with Jesus Christ that, uh, that's real. Not just because your parents made you go to church, but it has to be real. Like a, an essence of, I have a real relationship at this age with Jesus. And with that, man, you're way ahead of the game. You'll you, you won't have anything to regret when you make decisions based on the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Yes, definitely. Well, in, we're going to move up to high school now. Here's, um, um, oh, I'm sorry, wrong order. Um, the, the question that I wanted to focus on now is, does God hear the prayers of unbelievers? Yes. 100%. Is that it? That's it. Any, any specific reason why you think that she might think that they might not? Or sometimes, may not? That, sometimes that question is, 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 um, is, comes from a position of if I have a relationship with God and he promises to answer all my prayers, does that promise extend to unbelievers? And we know it does. Uh, we know in the book of Acts, we have the example of, I think it was Cornelius. Chapter uh, 10. Had, had a, had his prayers came up before God and God heard them. Um, and so God does hear them. The, the thing we, the way that you would look at that though is he's not obligated to answer them. It's sort of like you. Your kids can come to me and ask me for a million dollars. I'm not obligated to give it to them. Uh, I don't have it to give it to them. But My kids, son comes to ask me for a million dollars. I'm not obligated to give it to them. <laughs> You've asked many times. It's a horrible times. analogy. But it, <laughs> it's the way it is, bro. It's not the way in God's kingdom. That's the way it is. In John chapter 1, uh, some people do believe that in John chapter 1, when prayer is spoken of as a privilege for the believer, that means it's only for the believer. Uh, but that's not the case in scriptures. Acts chapter 10, Cornelius prays and Peter gets sent. And it's actually an amazing chapter, chapter 10 and 11, where the gospel is presented to Gentiles. And then also, you can think practically the thief on the cross. You know, he literally was praying to Jesus and he was heard, uh, asking to be remembered in heaven and he was saved. And then you also have the parable of the tax collector. Um, and this one I looked up because I knew it was there, but it's a parable and it's in Luke chapter 18 mm -hmm. uh, where the tax collector, Jesus is using this example how he's praying, Lord, have mercy on me. 
because I'm a sinner. He's, he's understanding who he is before the presence of God. And it says in the next verse, in verse 14, that he went home justified, uh, which means this man who had uh, no relationship with God other than realizing he was a sinner, prayed a prayer to God, and God heard him and saved him, justified him. So 100% um, believers and unbelievers' prayers are heard by the Lord. But like my dad was saying, it doesn't necessarily mean he's obligated to answer the prayer of the unbeliever. It is a privilege for the believer. And there's a lot of promises that uh, back that up in Scripture. Yeah, I like that better because the illustration I was shooting for was your kids coming to me and asking me for something is very different than my kids. So your kids can come and ask me whatever they want, but I don't have that connection relationship like I do with my own children or the responsibility. Uh, My kids are my responsibility. So if they come to me with a need, um, they're my children. And as a dad, I want to meet their needs. I want to take care of them. That's why God entrusted them to me. So there's a distinct difference between with the relationship um, and man I used to talk to God all the time as an unbeliever I was felt so much so much shame and so much difficulty but it wasn't enough I wasn't repentant so if you're listening right now especially you guys on Grace FM you're kind of wondering what's happening isn't there a church service right now there is uh, we've just taken time to talk about things uh, as a church family so that uh, we can have things out in the open and uh, be able to um, ask what's on our hearts and our minds and and so if you're listening on Grace FM right now and you don't have a relationship with God, but you've been talking to him one step farther, you just have to go one step farther, and that is to repent of your sins. You're wondering, why isn't God listening to me? He is listening to you, but you need to cross the threshold of acknowledging your sin before God. Uh, you're so close. You're so close. Just jump in with both feet and trust God and surrender with your life. And before we end the service and the time today, you can do just that. You can ask, you can confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's why you're listening right now, so that God would apprehend your heart and you can start praying to God out of relationship, not just desperation. You can have a relationship. He can be your father. You can be adopted in the family of God because of what Jesus Christ did upon the cross. Now, before we get to the next question coming through, I just want to ask real quick, somebody sent in, I noticed as I saw the questions, what is the plan with children's ministry? That's a personal question for us. What's the plan for children's ministry? We are working on that right now, and we don't know yet, but as soon as we know, you will know. And we are working on it right now. We've got plans in place. We're going to have some final decisions today, um, looking at how we're going to start. We just know it's going to be phases. It's not going to be all at once. It's going to be phases. Uh, and, and I would just add, please pray for us, because although it may not see, it may not, or maybe it does, seem that way out as you're observing us, COVID uh, and the challenges and the restrictions has caused a lot of, what's the word I want to say? What's the word I want to use? It's just been difficult. It's been difficult to meet the restrictions. It's been difficult to, um, you know, live under the restrictions. And it's been difficult to be a church family with the restrictions as we're honoring God and honoring our government and creating a safe environment to the best of our ability. So just pray for us. Uh, it's a lot more challenging than it sounds. You might be sitting there and go, well, just open it up and unlock the doors downstairs and just let the kids in. Believe me, I want to do that. That would be my default. Let's just open the doors and, and pretend this never happened. But that would be unwise. That it's just not wise. And as we've said many times before, patience is going to help us a lot. Because if anything ever did happen to anyone in your family, any one of your children or anything, I want to be able to look you in the eye and say, we did everything possible and reasonable to keep this place safe. And we, we couldn't have done more than we did. And so your patience with us is, is very much appreciated. And that was a good question. Um, I'm hoping as soon as we find out, you'll find out the Friday Connect is the place to find out. So you've got to be on our email list, be connected with us on our app, Um, connect on social media. I know many of you don't do that. I'm sorry. Um, That's the way that we're communicating right now. I mean, the offices are open, so you can always call the church with questions, but most of the questions will be answered already as we send out. If it's not in the Friday Connect, then we're not ready to announce it yet. So basically, just keep your eyes on on that, and you can sign up on our website, calvaryco.church. But we are, I just, I came in late today to the sanctuary because Everett and I were talking about it, preparing to talk with Michael, and Pastor Michael, and so 
We're getting there, folks. Pray for us. We're like the, just pray for us. That's probably the best. Let's go to the next question. All right. So the next question is another one of a practical question. How do I deal with my family getting annoyed with me, not wanting to compromise God's word, especially in controversial matters of today? So how do you deal with families that are... I would say three things. One, don't compromise, uh, no matter how uh, pressing your family is uh, to whatever stance you're holding to. Uh, number two is I would start firming up your, um, the truth that you're standing on. So what that means is come up with a better response than this is just what I have to do because I'm a Christian or this is what God is telling me to do. Although those are true responses, it does help to, to find scriptures that back up what you're standing to or the yeah. principle that you're holding to because the scripture is powerful. So if you have a family member that says, you know, why are you doing this or giving you some kind of attitude because you're holding to something that's scripturally based, drop the scripture on them. Say, in a loving way. This would be number three. Um, drop the scripture on them. <laughs> drop them. Uh, do it in a loving way. So you always want to give truth and love. Um, so I love to have the Bible ready to go um, when someone is continually pushing against something that I've already made a point to stand for. Uh, so maybe it won't happen in the first interaction. It doesn't sound like, it sounds like you're past the first interaction. Um, and it sounds like it would be a good time to bring up scripture. Uh, it sounds like it'll be a good time to allow the Bible to speak for itself um, and to allow that to take the, the direction of the conversation. Because they can argue with your lifestyle choices as much as they want. However, when it comes to arguing with the Bible, it's much more difficult. And it will be good for you because those verses will then be in your heart and the Holy Spirit will then have an opportunity to bring them to, remind, uh, to remembrance when you're tempted to break those decisions you've made. Um, because there, you will be tempted. And whether or not your family is just one of those temptations that come at you, um, it may be something else. The enemy may be using some other way to get your attention maybe when you're distracted uh, or maybe your family will back off. It's always good to have the scripture backing for the decisions you're making because it just reinforces your decision in something other than just your opinion. Because a lot of times when people attack us for the things we stand up for in Christ, it's really they're trying to get us to break our opinion. When our opinion's based on the Bible, uh, it, it can't break. Um, so just keep that in mind. I would say those three things. One, um, make sure that you firm up your foundation in truth using scripture. Uh, or for, sorry, one, don't compromise. Two, firm up your foundation in scripture. And three, share it in love. Uh, because I think in those times, especially with family, there's that comfortable, um, that familiarity that comes with that. And you may be tempted to let loose and do it in the name of God. And again, going back to the witness, you want to keep your witness, do it in love, but allow the Bible to speak for you. Uh, that'll be your greatest defense, just like Exodus 15. The Lord is your defense. So use it. Yeah, I'm sorry that, uh, I'm sorry that you have annoyed family members, but on the other side of that, uh, there's a lot of people that don't have annoyed family members because they won't take a stand. And this is, this is the price for standing for what's right in our culture. And Jesus, remember, said that even your own family will turn against you. The prophets without honor and step in his own home. So you're actually living out biblical truth. And, and, and yet we don't write our families off. Uh, we don't just give up on them. Uh, we just don't stop. You know, I won't talk about it anymore. Uh, but we love our families. They're the closest to us. So we, I, I, two, two words, when your, the question first came through, two words came to mind. I'm going to deal with my annoyed family members prayerfully and carefully. Uh, but you know as well as I do, we probably sin the most with our family. It's probably, probably the most, if there was a sin meter over your head, um, you know, you go to work, you're kind of on your best behavior, but you blow it sometimes. You come to church and the meter turns into a halo because you're an angel here. You know, you just never do anything wrong. You go home and there's a fire out of your, like the meter is all the way. Just because we let our guards down, we, we grow within our family. That's why if you're in a church for any long period of time, a church family like this, you're going to experience, you're going to experience more and more failure. Because even as you get familiar with one another and this becomes your family, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to have people sin. That's why love covers a multitude of sins. But I wouldn't give up on them. I can, I'd pray for them. That would help protect your heart. Uh, that The fact that they're annoyed tells me that there's something about your answers, something about your life that's frustrating them. Uh, and they may, you know, annoying, I kind of, I looked it up. It means irritated. Uh, it also means a little angry, <laughs> that's probably, you probably mean it more, a lot angry, but the definition means little angry and uh, irritated, but 
They, the, 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 I've found over the years the people that are more annoyed and more irritated are closer to converting or closer to changing their minds than you think because they're getting closer and closer to fighting reality. Sometimes it's just a, sometimes it's just a fight, you know, a, a response, but the, the rea- just prayerfully and carefully. Don't give up on your family and definitely don't compromise. Uh, this, is, this is certainly a place of temptation for compromise. It's not worth it. You'll regret it. And then they'll just mock you uh, for everything you ever said to them. Yes. Good, good advice. Good wisdom. Uh, next question says, where in Scripture does it say that hell was never meant for man but just fallen angels? Matthew 25, 41. The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch you did it to one of the least of me's, actually, uh, I'm reading 40, uh, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus teaching in Matthew 25, 41. Yes, good question. All right, so moving on to the next question. These are some really good questions here. Is there a particular place, particular place in the Bible to start reading that would make understanding it easier to connect with what God is saying? I always like to, oh, sorry, would you like to? No, you go for it. Thank you, Dad. You're the best. Uh, I always like to start in the Gospels because it just tells you the story of Jesus. And um, after you finish, maybe you can do one of the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Um, I, some people prefer John, some pr- people prefer Mark. Uh, I just say pick one, read it through, learn the story of Jesus, and then jump into the book of Acts, because Acts is exciting. Uh, it's pretty crazy to see how the Lord uses the church, which is what we are uh, as believers, what you are as a believer. Um, but start with uh, one of the Gospels, the, the good news, get a firm uh, grip, a firm idea of who Jesus is and how much he loves you, what he did for you. And then if you'd like to see how God worked in the early church, the book of Acts is one of my personal favorites, uh, and that's where I would recommend you starting. I'm just Perfect. texting Keegan real quick oh, okay. to see if they're yeah. watching. Go ahead. Uh, but I would say, of the four Gospels, I would suggest you uh, read John. Um, don't start with Matthew, because Matthew kind of takes you through a, a more historical view of Jesus as Matthew's trying to establish Jesus as the promised Messiah. But to get to know God, to, to get to know Jesus better, I'd start in John because John wrote that the reason he wrote his version down, he says, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the benefit of reading the Gospel of John. And I would suggest, as we've been doing on Wednesday nights, I would suggest that you read it in an easier version, like the New Living Translation, uh, so that it's a little more contemporary in its language, a little more uh, common language that we're speaking today. Uh, I, I, we use the New King James, and um, that's what we use on the weekends. And the, sometimes the sentences are backwards or there's some an, antiquated words that might trip you up. But we, when you read in a more modern version, like the NLT is trustworthy, uh, it's, it's easier to relate. It's more common to how you, every day, you talk every day. And, and I agree with Josh jumping into the book of Acts because as you get to know Jesus, then you get to know, then you get, then Acts, the, the Gospels tell you about Jesus. Acts shows you, um, reveals to you what a relationship with Jesus looks like in so many different lives, or what it could look like, how exciting and dynamic it is of what God is doing in and through your life. But John is that is the best. And, and, then, and then I would, I would also suggest if you're just having a general problem with the Bible, like understanding the Bible, um, if, and, and you've never done a New Believer Bible study, you should do that. You can go to our website uh, at calvaryco.church and go down to the bottom where it says, Know God, and just start off like you're a new believer um, and, and say, I know I've been walking with you for a while. And, and that's a prideful thing. You're like, I'm not a new believer. Well, it's okay to go back to basics. Even at the time with the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, Jesus told a whole church, remember from where you have fallen, repent, and go back and do the first works. So even if we've walked for a while with the Lord, it's okay to go backwards. And, and I would go to, the, to our website and all of our new believer materials there and just walk through it. Somebody had called the show earlier today and asked, what are the next, oh no, no, it wasn't the show. I was doing recordings for Abounding Grace. And one of the questions was, what are the next steps after a believer? Well, I just went to the website, opened it up, and I started reading what we tell every new believer here. Here are the next steps. 
pray, read your Bible, uh, be in fellowship with other believers, uh, make sure you tell people, to share the gospel with people, uh, get water baptized when, uh, when you have one, and we're, we need to have one very soon here at our church, uh, and, and just do the, do the things in the Bible, the book of John, uh, any of the gospels, the gospel of John, the book of Acts. That's really good. We've probably got time for one more question. One more? Okay. Yep. So let's do this last one. How do, you be, how do you not become weary in well-doing when things don't seem to be getting better, when it feels like the enemy is winning? Isn't this yeah. a great question? That is a great question because, like, you get weary all the time. <laughs> like, it is, it is getting harder and harder. And I like way, the way that passage is, is written let us not grow. So there is a part where we can slow the tide of tiredness becoming weariness, tiredness be just becoming uh, in a, a position of, man, I am ready to give up. And, and I think that we remember, like in any relationship, that we stoke the fires of any relationship. And the same thing I tell a new believer is the same thing I tell someone that's been walking with the Lord like me for 30 years. Am I in the word? Am I in prayer? Am I in fellowship? Am I sharing with people? What, what's the significance of sharing the gospel aside from the fact that you are participating in the Great Commission is that every time you share the gospel, you're reminded of the gospel in your life. You know, the gospel is for Christians too. Like every time you share your testimony and you end with the gospel, you're reminded, you know what? God has done a great work in me. God has done a great work in me. And I have, so I have a couple things when I think of that. The first one is I, I want to look up the word weary real quick here. I can do that with a, a real quick um, click of my Bible. And, and then I want to read to you from something from Chuck. So why don't you go ahead and if you had anything to share and then I'll look yeah, at the word. Yeah, I would word. say um, my favorite passage to go to because... Uh, what he's mentioned, being weary is something that happens quite a bit, or being tired, um, or just seeing like, man, I just can't win. Um, I go, always go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and that last passage where Paul is just explaining and re-committing uh, to the Corinthian church our final victory. Like, he explains that we've already won. Like, death, where is your sting? Uh, Hades, where is your victory? And he ends with saying the sting of death in verse 56 uh, through 58. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I would just start off, how do you defeat this weariness or this discouragement? And it's by knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So simply reminding yourself of the truth of God's word. No matter where you're at in this battle, no matter where you're at in the situation, there's a truth that's going to stand the test of time, and that's your labor for the Lord is not in vain. That's a promise you get to hold on to. And although that may not take away the weariness right away, it helps re bring, uh, refresh that perspective that you need to keep going for just one more day, the next decision. And that's really all the Lord's asking of you. Just the next decision, make it for me, and I'll carry you to the next one, and the next one, and the next one. But you're not alone. I think especially in this time, we're, we're feeling the weight of the weariness that is waiting. Yeah, and you, you're weary. You know, it gets more, I, I, as I look at different stages in my life too, you know, if you asked me this question 10 years ago, I probably would have kept it in the context of ministry and serving and that, because that was really a lot of my experience at the time. But now having, um, having experienced the loss of my son, having experienced the weight of grief, having experienced the other complications that, came with, that, that come with that that are ongoing now, to add to that family, to add to that church. And then you fast forward seven, eight years and COVID, like weariness is real. So let me just say that if you're weary, uh, it's real. And maybe, you, maybe this verse wasn't applied in your life. And you're like, man, I don't know, how am I gonna get out of this? The good news is you can get out of it. But I think validating the fact that when you read a scripture like that, you might come to some conclusion like, well, I'm a bad person uh, because I didn't obey that. I got weary. Well, you know, sometimes you get weary. Sometimes things happen to you. You get beat up. You're, you're like Rocky in the ring and you get knocked out and, and uh, you're just tired and weary. And, and I would say if you're weary today, just cast that care upon the Lord and get back up. God can give you strength. Um, learn how, on a practical level, learn how to rest. You know, take a break. Um, and you go, but Ed, we live in this world. Well, don't watch the news for a week. Um, stop watching the news. Get off of social media. Like I just posted on my website on, on just recently that I, I noticed it was a headline. 
that said Michelle Obama, the former president's wife, um, was experiencing low-grade depression. And, you know, again, you've got a person that has all the, all the things you think you would want, power, prominence, money, and yet there's a low-grade depression. I don't know what her um, relationship with the Lord is or not, but if she's not connected to the Lord, it's even worse. But, you know, it's not just Michelle Obama that should be on the front page. There's probably a lot of people in this room that have experienced a low-grade depression. Even if you're afraid of that word, well, you can use the Bible word for that. You can say a low-grade discouragement where it's just, man, it's just blah. And then that low-grade discouragement starts to weigh on you and you're tired and you're frustrated and then you're weary. You're just tired of it all. And, you know, I think I'm trying to click this up, but it's not popping up, so hopefully it'll pop up here. But Pastor Chuck gave a, um, a, a great insight. I posted that also. It's on fresh on my mind where he spoke of uh, the solution to your stressful life. And, and he, I, I love Pastor Chuck. He was a simple man. Um, and, and as he gave um, insight, I, for some reason it just won't open. I'm connected to Grace FM, I think. Okay. So, you know, he says, he says in... Um, he quotes Psalm 43, verse 5. Why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I'll put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. And then he, then he says, in modern times, we could translate this verse, why are you so depressed? Why are you so filled with anxieties? Society places us under many difficult pressures. We find ourselves struggling financially, struggling with our relationships, struggling with work. The future feels uncertain. Then when we're unable to cope with those pressures, the result is depression or anxiety. Those feelings of dissatisfaction or hopelessness are magnified when we fail to see a way out of our circumstances, when we feel trapped in a darkened maze and can't find the way out. David's soul was cast down. He was troubled because of the ungodly nations that surrounded and oppressed him. He was troubled because of deceitful men who had been unfair in dealing with him. But in the midst of this depression, David reminds himself of the solution, hope in God. You won't find the solution to your problems by looking at other people or at yourself. Direct your thoughts away from the problem and put them on God, away from your own weakness and onto his strength. And you need to remember that God loves you and is in control of the circumstances that surround your life. And you're like, thank you, Pastor Chuck, speaking to us from heaven. Like, hope in God. And even that can be tiring. Abiding in Christ, resisting, like, abiding in Christ requires effort. And it requires battling. And when you battle things in your mind, you get tired. You get exhausted. You get mentally exhausted. But turn your eyes away from the problems. Turn your eyes onto the Lord. And can't you just hear, for those of you that know Pastor Chuck's voice, can't you just hear him saying it to you like this? You know, I, that's a poor, but can't you just hear his grandfatherly voice just saying, it's going to be okay, son. It's going to be okay, daughter. Just get your eyes on the Lord. Let's get our hope back in the Lord. But Chuck, you don't understand. You don't, no, let's just look to the Lord today. And it's true. Let's just look to the Lord today. Amen? Amen. What do you guys think about how Marie emceed this thing? Good job. I'm going to see more of you on the stage. You belong here. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> well, thank you all for sending in your questions. We have a lot that we didn't get a chance to answer, but if you want another chance, uh, consider uh, tuning in to Calvary Live on 89.7 Grace FM, and it's from 4 to 5, right? 4 to 5 Mountain Time, and uh, the same number we use for this texting, we live uh, every Monday through Friday. If you didn't know that on Grace FM, Monday through Friday uh, from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, we do the same thing. I do Thurs Wednesdays and Thursdays. Pastor Jeff Figgs does, uh, what does he do? Mondays and, Tuesdays. Mondays and Tuesdays, and then Pastor Nick Katie does Fridays, and we have other guests. So it's really good to, to get things off. And, and, and when you're listening, so let me give you this. When you're listening, all, not only listen um, any Bible Answer program. If you might listen to Gino's program over on, the, on CareCast and the other station in town here. Whenever you're listening, don't just listen to the answer, but listen carefully to how it was answered because it'll add to you because you might say I would have never answered that way God is teaching you another way to approach that question 
God's teaching you another way to approach that. And that's what I love about great, um, our show because it has different personalities. And you know, you just like, you, whenever Je- Pastor Jeff Figs answers a question, you're just like, yeah, Jeff, you're so right, man. <laughs> I just love that guy. And then of course with Nick, when you're listening to Pastor Nick, um, he has a more, um, he has a more, what, what was the word, what's the word I wanna use? It's um, Studious approach. Studious, yeah, he's yeah. like, he's just super smart. So more of his questions just are on that level of, man, he really answered that with more, more verses than I knew even approached that. And so I always appreciate that because it adds to me because you want to be, um, Peter said, um, to sanctify yourself and always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that lies within you. And you want to be always ready because you don't know. It's not one size fits all. You'll always remember you're not just answering a question, you're ministering to a person. And you always want to remember that. Never forget the person when you're answering Bible questions. So today, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that, especially here in the room. You know, we're, we're able to answer these questions. We're able to talk about the future. We're able to have hope because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on a Roman cross to forgive you of your sins. And if you choose to repent of your sins and receive the risen Lord as your personal Savior, He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. You'll be adopted into the family of God. And I want to invite you right here in this place to receive the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so let's all just end in prayer. We went a little over, so we'll just end in prayer right now. And I'll pray for you. If you want to receive the Lord, you can pray with me, okay? So Father, we're just here tonight thankful for... Uh, this time, it's different and it's good. I like the variety. I like uh, serving um, here with Josh and with Marie and uh, being able just to, to share with you what you've poured into us. Our wisdom and knowledge, our answers are not our own. We didn't make this stuff up. You've helped us and given it to us. And you are empowering your church to give an answer in a very hostile, difficult culture. You're able to in, in, you, you are enabling us to give a biblical answer not an argument, not fighting for our rights, but rather fighting for people to see you, to surrender to you, to trust you, to hope in you. And I pray for those that are here or listening, watching online, that have never given their life to you, that they would do that now. And if that's you, you could pray like this. You could say, God, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I believe you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, And I believe he rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I want the hope and the love and the forgiveness that was spoken of here tonight. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And so, Lord, I pray for those today that would cry out to you. Your word says you will not turn them away. And I pray that it would be a meaningful, true, born-again experience with you tonight. And for us, God, enable us, strengthen us, I pray for the weary, I pray for the fearful, I pray for those being mocked for their faith, pray for those kiddos going into junior high that are just facing all kinds of things, just overwhelmed, but Lord, you are their strength and you are their hope, and I pray for that supernatural shield around them and around us, in Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.